0: Good morning and uh, welcome today. Good to have you with us. Uh, My name is Randy. If you've not been with us before, it's great to have you in our time together. And uh, please stop by and see Jake out there. He's a good guy. He'd love to give you a little gift and say hello uh, a little bit later. Uh, You know, one thing else, I want to just come right off what Jake's been talking about this morning. Man, He's a good guy. Uh, But uh, Jake was uh, talking about the 4th of July. And I want to reinforce that. I want to encourage you. We had several people sign up last week if you did sign up or you want to help serve, um, we're going to be having a short meeting after the second service, and there's a list back in the back if you didn't get a chance to sign up next, uh, last week to do that. Uh, but we're going to be hosting uh, the uh, 4th of July celebration uh, this year down at the uh, park. We're going to have the mic and uh, be able to talk uh, a little bit about the church. We're not going to overwhelm people, but we're going to provide some entertainment. Uh, Dan and his team will do that. Uh, We've got a hospitality table. We're going to be serving some watermelon and water and also um, fun zone for the kids. There's going to be a lot of things going on, kind of a, a um, cornhole tournament, or a, not a tournament, but a contest of some sort. We're going to be having. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We'd love to have you guys come and be a part of that. The other aspect of that is we're inviting people to come back next Sunday morning. So next week is going to be a different week for us. Uh, we're going to have uh, a lot of videos uh, of, of testimonies of people. And then also we're going to have a short gospel presentation. So this is one of those weeks that if you always say, well, I don't know if my friends can handle a, a service like we usually have, this would be a great week to invite them. You don't want to miss this one. Uh, we're going to have brunch out of the tent. Uh, brunch will be uh, at about 10 o'clock, start serving. So this service, after we get done with our service, you can go out and enjoy some brunch with your, the people you bring with you. Uh, if you come to the 11 o'clock service, we're asking them to come early. And enjoy that as well that's for everybody and then at the end of the second hour uh we're going to be having a, a giveaway to our for our, our guest that we'll be uh, selecting from those that are here so we're excited about next week and we want to really pump that up we would love to have you be a part of it and did i mention we have got the coolest t-shirts ever for our volunteers all right you know how it is when you just do something to get a t-shirt your motivation's really wrong but i'm telling you if you miss these you're gonna you're gonna wish you'd gotten it all right all right, so keep that in mind. So uh, now why do we do these sort of things? Why do we do this? Uh, we do this because we care about people. And we care about people who are not walking with the Lord. That's, that's where our heart is really at. It's what it's all about. It's not about uh, celebrating the 4th. We can do that anywhere. You can do it easier at home. Uh, but the reality is, is we want to interact with our community and be hospitable to them. Because that's what it's all about, connecting people to Jesus and helping them move on their simple journey. I was reading a story a couple of weeks ago about a lady I've never heard of. Her name is Erica Downey. Uh, but Erica is a, a Christian, and she was reading this article about a, a basketball coach. And Erica happens to be married to a, a college basketball coach. She was reading this story that another coach needed a kidney. He would die without a kidney transplant. And so she said that when she heard that story that something moved her and she went and, and was tested... And discovered that she actually was a perfect match for this, this other coach. And so she decided to donate a kidney. Now what made it outstanding to me was who the other coach was. If you are a Kentucky fan, you probably remember the name of Billy Gillespie. Everybody goes, oh, Billy Gillespie, hey. Yeah, yeah he wasn't the best coach we ever had here. But, but he had a kidney disease and he was going to die without a donation of a kidney. And so she actually, in April, gave him... A kidney, and they're both doing really well, as far as I can tell. Uh, just just checking up update on that. And that was a gift of life that she gave to this man, that she didn't even know. But she connected, and God moved her to do that. You know, last week we asked the question. We said, "What is the most important strategic, life changing thing you could ever do for another human being?" And we ticked off some things, some occupations you might have, some things that you might choose to do with your life that would impact the lives of other people deeply. Teacher, doctor, soldier, different things we talked about there. And you know, giving someone an organ is a pretty significant thing in my mind. A young mother, two kids, 33 years old, donated a kidney to somebody. That's a big deal. But there's something greater that we can do. And we talked about last week that the greatest impact that you could have on a person is when you bring about the intersection of their life with the living God through Jesus Christ in such a way that their entire eternity is altered. That is the most important thing and most strategic thing that any of us could ever do. Extended life, better health, all those things are awesome. But Jesus said, I've come to give you abundant life. Not just life, but abundant life. And what that means is that every life, regardless of their circumstances, is better off with Jesus at the center of it. Now, what does Jesus bring into a life? Well, he brings about a clear uh, freedom of guilt and shame. He brings about some clarity in in what is right and wrong in life, how to live relationships better, how to find joy in life, the power of God working inside of us, being a part of the family of God. But by far the number one reason why we want to connect people with, with Jesus is so that they can have eternity with our Father, so that they will go to heaven because we said that heaven and hell are real and that real people are going to go there. And the reality is that eternity hangs in the balance for people. We talked about last week that we have to look at people with some spiritual empathy. We have to look at their life. We have to be honest, not judgmental, but just to be honest with where they are in relationship with God because this is, hands down, the most important truth you will ever hear. Let me tell you what the Apostle Paul says about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, because we understand our fearful responsibility. I like the way he describes that. Our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he has given us this wonderful message of reconciliation, so we are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I love the way that that scripture is given in the the New Living Translation where it says we're calling people back to God, that we have this relationship with God, and God has sent us to be ambassadors to come down to the world, to interact with people who are not yet in a relationship with him, and to call them back to God and reconcile them in a relationship with him. And to be honest, this is what drives us as a church. This is what identifies us as the body of Christ, that we want to reach out to our community, because we have a message of reconciliation that we want to share with people who are far from God. This is why we do things like the 4th of July. It's why later on this year we'll do Serve the City. Well, are we trying to do good things? Sure, we want to be you know, friendly. We want to love our community. But what really drives us is trying to reconcile people who are far from God, helping them to see who Jesus is, and drawing them close to Him. That's what it's all about. It's what we're all about. And so to do that, we have to try to be more intentional about this, and we have to be more open and planning about this. Let me just say this. If you're here today and you have not yet accepted Christ, I want you to know that you are important to us, and you're important to God. That's why you're important to us, because you're important to God. And your eternity matters to God, and it matters to us. We don't want to judge you. We don't want to call you out in any way. We won't do that. We want to help you, though, begin to move on your simple journey toward Jesus. That's what we're all about, really. Now, for the rest of us who are here who are believers, let me just say this. Uh, We need to think closely or clearly about what our responsibility is. What kind of an ambassador are you being that God sent you to be? What kind of ambassador are you? For many of us, we're probably a pretty poor ambassador. We're not very faithful to the one who has sent us. And so I want us to raise a very simple question today to you for you to think about. Better yet, I'm going to let the Apostle Paul raise it. He has a lot more authority than I do. Paul's going to say this in Romans chapter 10, and listen to what it has to say. How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? Now, that's three rhetorical questions that we don't have to answer. You know, I love rhetorical questions because you don't even have to think about them. The answer so obvious, it's just out there, is that people are not going to believe in Jesus unless they hear about him, and they're not going to hear about him unless somebody takes the effort to go and tell them about him. And so that's the command that we clearly have from God. You know, you can't believe in Jesus unless somebody tells you. And so I began to think, how do people who currently do not know about Jesus, how do they discover Jesus? How are they going to hear about him? One thing for sure, they're not going to hear about him in culture, are you? Not in the right light. There, there's nothing I see in our culture that's going to talk positively about Jesus and about Christians as well. The media is not going to talk positively about about christians they might gloss it over a story like i told you might be but that wasn't front page news was it the fact that this woman was a christian and that she gave her her organ her kidney to, to somebody else you're not going to hear about jesus in a positive light and let me just say this you're not going to go into a bathroom somewhere and pick up a tract about jesus you ever see those some of us have seen that that's disgusting isn't it you know if that's your strategy to put a t- piece of the paper in a bathroom for people to pick up, that is not working, so you, you can spend your money somewhere else. Not going to do that. People are not automatically going to tune in to Caleb, We love Caleb, right? But most people are not searching the radio, you know, trying to find a Christian station. And, and if they do, it, it might take a little while to kind of figure the message out. As much as we love it, it's not exactly how they're going to do it. They're not going to turn on Christian TV, more than likely. You know, there's a million channels, and you can never find anything to watch, right? They're not going to choose that to watch, because most people do not realize that they have a, 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 law, a void in their life. Even if something remotely Christian does pass their way, and they hear about it, they are not going to reorient their life to something they have no connection with. just doesn't happen like that. So what, how is it going to work? How are people going to be connected? They have to have someone in their life to share the message in a personal and attractive way. That's where it's all at. I mean, that's, that's how God's always used people. And that's why God will use us today, to be ambassadors, to reconcile people to him. And that's where we come in today, or at least where we're supposed to. Now, to be honest with you, none of us want to be heavy-handed as a Christian, right, in our witness None of us want to be that obnoxious person that the world has already identified, already labeled all Christians as, that you're going to be nosy, you're going to intrude, you're going to condemn me. None of us want to be that person, right? Truding in someone's life, pushing Jesus down their throat. In fact, we don't want to be that person so desperately that we have chosen to be the opposite of that person and say nothing at all. That's become our new strategy in our world today. We have retreated when it comes to sharing our faith. Remember that 90% of us, I told you this last week, 90% of us will never share the most important value in our life, our faith, in a lifetime. 90% of us. That's the statistics and are horrible statistics. Meanwhile, the lost person just stays lost sometime even into eternity unless someone comes along who loves them more and loves God more than you and I, right? Unless someone has the courage to step up, that person may be lost for eternity. Because remember, heaven is real and hell is real, and real people are gonna go somewhere, one of the two, whenever they die. So what we gotta do is figure out, well, how do we respond to this need in our world today? And so I told you last week, I wanted to share a simple strategy with you, something that we can have in our mind, and you don't have to even write it down, I think you can rem- remember this, it's two words. Really simple, nothing complex, not rocket science. How do we share our faith with people? Two words, investing and inviting. Investing and inviting. And we're going to start just briefly by talking about what investing is all about. Investing in someone's life is simply about building a relationship with them. Remember, we spent seven or eight weeks talking about how we should be like Jesus. Jesus spent his time on the earth investing in people's lives. Some of those people were godly people trying to find uh, God's you know, true way and the Messiah, but many of them were lost people, far from God. In fact, he seemed to prefer lost people over saved people. And so he would help, fi- help them find a relationship with God, and then he would invest in their life, and before you know it, they were bringing other people, which is the strategy that he's given to us. Introducing yourself to some people is just where it begins. Somebody moves in across the street, you know. You can stay in your house, peek through the blinds and watch them unload their car, talk about them and what they have or don't have, or you could actually get outside the house, go over there, introduce yourself to them, and then get to know them, spend time with them, invest in their life. And here's why that's important, because only in the confines of a relationship can we really develop trust and the freedom to be able to talk about the most delicate, the most important matters in life. And here's the other thing, we don't have to create those relationships because most of us already have them. We know who our neighbors are. We may not be a good neighbor. We may not know them really well, but we know them, don't we? We know who our friends are. Many of them, we're honest, that we don't, they don't have any relationship with Christ. Maybe your kid's involved in a sports program. I remember when our kids were there, we spent hours in the bleachers watching our kids play. There are people that, that we happen to know, some of them able, actually able to influence. Many of them, I kind of wasted that relationship, no doubt. But you have all this time, people that you could build a relationship with, not to be manipulate, manipulate them, but just to influence them, to encourage them. After all, you've got the greatest thing in the world, your knowledge. You don't want to waste that. You don't want to, you don't want to you know, put that to no use at all. You want to put it into someone's life. And then a relationship is where that really can happen. But if you're gonna make an impact on people in their life, then you have to be intentional about the relationship. I don't know about you, but I've had and still have relationships that I have not been very intentional about. That I have not ta- taken the next step in talking about faith with them. And so what we, what we have to do is we have to see it as a mission. This is our not only responsibility, our commission, but as our mission. And, and, and what we do is we build a relationship and then you begin to pray for these people. And then you look for openings that will allow you to talk about spiritual things. You have to be open to that and you have to be willing for them to know you. You know, you may need to tell them about what your struggle is in life. You may need to talk to them about some, some challenges that you have and ask them, hey, to pr- you know, pray for you. And as you begin this exchange of, of, of intimate thoughts and your struggles and challenges, they begin to respond. And, You know, some of us, we fear that we're going to have to push too hard, and we're going to push people away. We don't want to do that. We just want to build a relationship with them. When you live your life for Christ, and whenever you encourage them, you pray for them, and you're willing for the opportunity to come, God will provide it. I believe that firmly, that if you are willing, and you are building the relationship, God will give you an opening, because it will always be there. You can tell them your story, what you were like before you knew Christ, what Christ means today in your life, what you are like now, how it's changed your life, where you look to try to find fulfillment and hope in life and failed. What a difference that Jesus has made in your life and, and your hope and your, fu- your future, your marriage, your children. All those things, you know, that's investing in someone's life. That's what we need to be open to do. Now, in most cases, they're going to start to think and they're going to have questions about that. Maybe even some excuses about why they don't have, uh, why they're not a Christian. But as you continue to be faithful, there will be something in your life that makes them want to know more and more about Jesus. And that's where the invite part comes. That's where the invite part comes along. You invite them to check out Jesus for themselves. You invite them to, to try to discover what Jesus might mean to them. And we also invite them to check out our church. Because we want to be a place that helps people begin their journey for Christ. We want to encourage them to come, and let me just back up a little bit about my comments about our our brunch next Sunday. Even if your friend or someone you know doesn't go to the 4th of July, invite them anyway. It's a golden opportunity. Say, hey, come eat brunch with us. We're going to eat at 10 o'clock. Meet me there. We'll eat something. We'll sit around and visit. It's going to be really neat, and then go to church with me. Or have them to come early and then eat afterwards, whatever it might be. That's a great way, a golden opportunity. You'll never get a better slam dunk than this, guys, to have, invite somebody to come to church with you. And you know what? Statistics tell us that 80% of the people that we invite will respond. If we're in relationship with them and we invite them, 80% will respond. We have the most imp- powerful um, influence in, in people's lives with our faith. And we, many of us, just simply neglect that. But you know what? Our inviting should also be simple and non-threatening. Simple and non-threatening. And, and you also shouldn't worry about getting your feelings hurt. You ever had your feelings hurt by somebody you invited to church? I remember back when I was a kid, we had a revival back in that day. And, and I was assigned as a teenager to fill a pew. You know, Back in that day, you had fill a pew. You had, you'd get eight or 10 people, whatever, to come. And I was so excited about that, and I went and got 10 people that told me they were going to be there. I was so excited to go in and say I filled my pew, and none of them showed up. Seriously, none of them did. And I'm still disappointed to this day about that, but I don't know why they didn't come. But but you know what? If you get your feelings hurt, that's okay, because you've been faithful. You've been faithful. You just do your part. You can't get their eternity for them, but you can lead them there, and you can encourage them. Let's watch how Jesus did this. This is so simple. John chapter 10, I'm going to read several verses here. It says, the following day, John, this is John the Baptist, was again standing uh, with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there's the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Now, by the way, this was really cool with John. He, He didn't mind at all. He pushed his followers toward Jesus. Jesus looked around and he saw them following and he asked them, what do you want? And they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Listen up. Jesus said, come and see. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was saying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. So he said, come and see. He invited them just to come and check out what he was doing. And so they left everything, and they went and spent the rest of the day and listened to him teach and visit with them and build a relationship. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of those men who heard what John said, and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, "We have found the Messiah, which means Christ." Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, looking intently at Simon. Jesus said, "Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Do you want to know how Peter, who was the most influential, probably of the 12 disciples, how he came to know Jesus? Because his brother Andrew, met Jesus first and invited him to come. That's how it works. Later... Jesus found Philip and said to him, come follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. See the connection, the networking again? Philip went to look for Nathaniel, another of his friends, and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel. I love this. Here's an excuse. We all had these, right? Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said, come and see for yourself. You know, I think it's interesting that we don't hear the name Nathaniel a lot, but many people suggest that Bartholomew and Nathaniel were the same person, that he also became a follower of Jesus Christ. So here you have just a networking of people meeting Jesus, inviting others, family, friends, neighbors, whoever it might be. That's how it works. That's how it worked back then. That's how it works today as well. John pointed a a, a friend of his to Jesus, Andrew. Andrew invited his brother Simon Peter. Philip invited his friend Nathaniel. It went on and on. And guys, we can do that as well today. That's how it is designed to happen naturally and organically. Kind of like you would recommend a, a good restaurant to someone. You know, I love to hear about a good restaurant. Then I like to go and I like to take somebody else if I figure out it's a good place to go. I like to do that. It's enjoyable. You know, I think Facebook, that's social media, it's got a lot of problems, obviously, but there's some things they do well. We talked about a few weeks how that liking something is pretty cool, that, that other people see when you like it, they see it, but you know you also have another button, it's called the share button. You can like it and you can also share it with somebody else, and that's kind of what it's like, you know, when you like Jesus and you share Jesus. Why do we do that? Because we think other people want the information. If it's something funny, something silly, a recipe, whatever it is, you have something and you want to give it to others. It's how the world operates, except we've never figured it out as Christians. That's how the church is designed to grow. But most of us just don't get around to inviting people to church. And what I want you to see is how natural it should be and can be. Let's say you go to work tomorrow and somebody comes up and goes, hey, how was your weekend? You can say, wow, it was hot right? Because it is hot. It's a hot weekend. That's obvious. But you can say, yeah, you know, I did some yard work on Saturday and, you know, just kind of took it easy on Sunday and then now the weekend's over. You can do that. We all do that, right? But what if you said, hey, did some yard work on Saturday. Sunday morning, man, we got up early, took the family to church, checked the kids in. They loved their programming. The worship was phenomenal. Message was all right. You know, uh, you know, you, you can just say, hey, really, this is awesome. Why don't you go to church with us Sunday? Next week, we're going to have brunch. We're going to actually eat. going to have a tent. I can just imagine it's going to be beautiful. I know it is like today. Maybe a little warm, but it'll be in the shade. It'll be early. Say, hey, come on. Uh, you can have brunch with us. We'll have a great time together. We'll, the kids are going to love it. I know your kids. My kids, it's great. We can do that, you know? We can do that. You start a conversation just to tell them about Jesus. You know what's probably going to happen? Some of them are going to say, you know what, if I went into a church, the, the roof would fall. I've heard that all of my life, people say that, because they may honestly believe that would happen. And if you can't pry them or fa- force them to come, then do what Jake said earlier. Jake said, tell them to get online and watch us on Facebook live. Say, here's what our service looks like. You're going to know kind of what the front looks like, what the service is like, you know what to expect. That are, those are awesome ways that we can do. We have to do those because the attorney of lost people is hanging in the balance people will and do respond to that if you have a relationship with them jesus did it it's worked for over 20 or over two thousand years now it's changed right they didn't have facebook back then i'm pretty sure they didn't have facebook back when i was a kid but it still worked then and, and it works today right let me just ask you this how many of you? I believe that probably you're, you're probably a normal, average crowd. How many of you came to Jesus or came to the, the church because somebody invited you? Just show me. Yeah, m- most of you did. Somebody drove by and just said, "Hey, I'm going to visit there," you know. But somebody invited. It may have been a parent, could have been a sibling, a friend. Somebody invited you to Jesus, and that's how it happens today. And yet, how do we think that many of us don't tell anybody, and they're going to come to know Him? Have you ever sat in the service and thought, man, I wish so-and-so was here today because we were talking about this last week, and and it would help them to know that. Well, you can make that a reality by having that person set beside you. Now, I was kind of wondering, why don't we do this? If it's so simple, if it's God's plan, if it works, why don't we do it? And I think the word, uh, a guy that I read a lot, his name is James Emery White, he said this, he said, the reason we don't do this is because of spiritual narcissism. Spiritual narcissism. Now, what is that? Well, Narcissus, if you remember, was a Greek character who saw his reflection in the water and spent the rest of his life worshiping himself. Narcissism is a preoccupation with yourself. And unfortunately, a lot of people think about that when it comes to faith as well. Here's our thoughts I want the best that I can get for me, all about me. I want to go where I'm being fed not where I can learn to feed myself or other people, maybe bring them. I want to go where I'm being fed. I want to be ministered to, when ministry, in reality, is what God has called us to do for other people. Some people walk out of a service and say, you know, I didn't get anything out of that, as if that was the purpose of that. It's, not, it's a worship service. We don't come to worship ourselves. We come to worship God. So we ought to be asking ourselves, what did I bring to God today? Did I I bring a heart of worship? Did I bring a voice that was praising him? Did I bring an offering to give to my God? Did I bring the right heart? Did I bring somebody with me? What did I give God? Instead of what what did I get? I'm going to tell you, if that's the way you view your faith, you're always going to be disappointed somewhere. Because we never get enough, do we? A spiritual narcissism can fill us where we think that our individual needs and that our desires are why we are Christians and why we go to church. The church exists primarily to win the loss, not to meet the needs of every single believer. There is no church that can meet my needs uniquely. I have to figure that out to feed myself. I said last week that those in danger always take priority over those who are safe. Now, if you are a spiritual narcissism, that statement offends you. How do I know that? Because I've offended a lot of people. I have, and that rubs me wrong sometimes, you know? I have to question myself when I read that, but there's a lot of people I've offended in the past with that statement. It just blows me away. It's pretty obvious. If you're a spiritual narcissist, that bothers you a little bit because you're pretty concerned about what you have or what you're getting, or what you want, and not so concerned about other people. And I believe that there will be a lot of people who are in hell because people like you and I were so consumed with being happy ourselves and searching and running here and there that we never settled down and focused on lost people. It was always about us. And that's why spiritual narcissism is such a sin. I believe that. But Americans, we're great at it. We're really good at it. Because, you see, the church wasn't designed just to meet all of my needs. You know, I was reading this past week about a, a ship. Um, I'm kind of a little bit of history buff. I don't know a ton of it. But I was reading it back in the 1940s. You know what was going on, right? World War II. And, uh, and one of the biggest problems they had back uh, in World War II, we were, remember, we were fighting on fronts everywhere. It was a world war. So there were fights, battles going on everywhere. And one of the biggest problems they had was moving troops from one battlefield to another. The, you know, things would heat up over here. Well, it would take days or weeks to get equipment and troops over to another place. And so uh, in, in the mid-40s, before the war ended, the government commissioned an $80 million carrier for troops. Now, $80 million sounds like a lot to me, but when it comes to a ship and the military, it's nothing. Today's money, it would be like $750 million. That's a lot of money for one ship. But they commissioned this ship to be built and by 1952, the ship was completed, and it was named the SS United States. Now, if you remember, also know your history, about 1952, guess what? The war was over. The World War was over, and so the need wasn't as great. It was the largest and fastest ship in the world. It would go 51 miles an hour, which is very fast on water. It would travel 10,000 miles without refueling and could be anywhere in the world in 10 days or less. So that was the answer to their dilemma that had now Was no longer being felt. But unfortunately, the ship never carried any troops at all. It was never used by the military. In fact, it was refitted and became a luxury liner for presidents and members of Congress, heads of state, and celebrities. It became a cruise ship. And this ship, that was designed for such a noble purpose, only served 17 years and then it was moved into dry dock, and today it's rusting its future is in limbo, they're thinking about sinking it to become an artificial reef. Now, I want you to just think about the difference in what that ship was planned for and what it became. Instead of carrying soldiers to the battlefield, it took celebrities on luxury cruises. You know, when you think about what the church is designed to be, it's almost as ridiculous as that. Christ made it clear that the church was designed to be a battleship, to mobilize people to move into the mission and accomplish that. But today, it's so tempting for churches to become a a, a luxury liner. And we have to ask the question, do we want to move this ship into battle mode, or are we going to be content to sit around the pool and wait for the staff to bring us some more hors d'oeuvres? I think that's the question for America today. And unfortunately, a lot of us have decided we like the latter pretty well. Thank you, serve it up. Right? I just tell you, I think we as a church, we're gonna be a combat vessel. We're gonna trim things down. I think we've already trimmed things down and and we wanna be serving on the front lines of the lost. So my question to you, are you gonna suit up and become one of the troops or are you gonna be a spiritual narcissist And worry about what your needs are and how they're met. Time to get real. You know why? Because heaven and hell are real. And because real people are going to go to one or the other. But here's the thing. Real people don't have to go to a real hell. Because Jesus has done everything possible, everything necessary, I'll say, to prevent that from happening. And you and I, most of us in this room, we know it. Do we know everything? No, we don't. Well, people ask you a question you don't know. Sure they will. People ask me questions all the time. I don't know. I've been at it a while, you know? I don't know these things. It doesn't matter. I can find out what their questions are. But what I know, I know who Jesus is. And I know how to be a Christian. I know how to become one. And if you are a Christian, you know that as well. Don't deny it and don't waste it. Use it for the kingdom and for the Lord. And like I say, next week we're going to have a golden opportunity. We've got several of you people, you real people that have given testimonies about what God has done in your life, how he is real, and then we're going to talk about the gospel. So please, we're giving you a toss-up, guys. Use next week. And if you're here this morning and you have never given your life to Christ, please come up and talk to me. I would love to have that conversation because we care about you and God cares. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for the challenge you've given to the church. God, I pray that the church would rise up, that, God, we would have courage and boldness to rise to the challenge because the, the need is there. It's getting greater in our world. God, help us to be a light. Help us to be a shining light set on a hill. Help us to be salt that influences our world. God, give us boldness. We have the message. God, give us compassion and empathy for those who are not walking with you. Lord, we love you, we worship you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.